We plan on getting old. And we plan on putting a convalescent together home and it didn't happen. God had other plans. And so I had a lot of anger, a lot of anger. I was cussing God out. And finally, all that anger calmed down. It just calmed down because I've learned that in order to get to the other side, you gotta go through the anger. You gotta feel what you need to feel. And uh, the old timers used to tell me when I used to come up to the podium and I, and I was throwing four letter words left and right. And the old timers used to kindly take me aside and it says, son, you need to find what you're trying to feel. Behind every cuss word, there's a feeling. You gotta learn to identify that. <laughs> and so my humble beginning started at Temple City, Alano. And uh, I want to tell you that uh, that the most important thing I heard back then was that stick around long enough and someday you'll hear somebody up here off the podium tell your story. And I heard my story from a guy named Robert. And this guy told exactly how he drank, what he drank, how he behaved when he drank. Identical, it clicked mm -hmm. with my story. And so that got me to become friends with him. And I had five months of sobriety when he asked me to become, uh, take over that meeting. And uh, <clears throat> when I took that meeting over, my knees hurt for about four weeks because not only was it a podium meeting and you had to read from the podium but I was also the coffee maker the secretary and then needless to say don't do the program the way I did it the format said get a speaker for every Sunday meeting I crucified myself and I told my story every Sunday for a year and a half <laughs> But you know what? I needed to do that. I needed to hear myself. That's how sick I was. One day this old timer came up to me and he says, son, why are you, why are you putting yourself on the cross every Sunday? Look at your format. Get a different speaker every Sunday. And so anyway, uh, if you're thinking of becoming a newcomer in the next 30 days, don't. If you're feeling depressed, you're in the right place. I suffer with a lot of depression. I suffer, I've had moments of anxiety and I have moments of restlessness. And I went to see this guy named Clancy that eventually was my sponsor for a while and I wanted to hear what the message was and that's what he said. He said, in all the years I've been sober, I have moments of depression, restlessness and anxiety. And if you're here, there's a purpose and there's a reason why you're here. And don't leave before the miracle happens. Thank you. Awesome, congratulations. Do we have anybody from 30 to 35? 35 to 40? 40 to life. Okay, uh, one quick thing. We do have a phone list up here. If you want to get on it, there's a pin and uh, list that's continuing on. And then 
There's also phone lists for you to take if you'd like to take a phone list tonight. Now we have literature. Everybody. My name is Rachel and I'm an alcoholic. Rachel. Uh, we do have big books here at this meeting. I have them right over here at this table on the right. Um, they are uh, club cost. If you can't afford it, please come see me. I'll make sure you leave with one. We also have a 12 and 12, a daily reflection, and plenty of free literature. So if you need literature, come see me. Thank you for letting me be of service. Thank you, everybody. My name is Jerry again, and I am an alcoholic. And I guess I'm going to speak for about 10 minutes. Um, oh, boy. And I'm going to qualify. <laughs> yeah. Um, first off, I want to welcome the newcomer, Daniel. Keep coming back, my man. And uh, the trip takers, 60 days and, uh, what was it, six months? And uh, happy birthday, Guillermo. You know, 30 years is it's awesome. You know, and uh, like I said, my name is Jerry, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I'm grateful for my recovery today. Um, I'm a grateful alcoholic. I used to hear that all the time and I couldn't understand why. Because, uh, you know, I wanted to party till I died. And what I didn't know is I was slowly going to my grave doing it. Um, you know, um, I'm a late bloomer. I started at age eight, <laughs> and I didn't stop till I was 38. I was uh, free basing by the time I was 12. Wow. Uh, I come from a broken home, a very broken home, and, um, you know, at age eight, I took that first drink, um, and I felt, I felt phenomenal when I took it and took that drink, and it went down, and I started to get that change. Um, I chased it for the rest of my life, you know, and I chased it a few times with some different issues uh, with the alcohol and these outside issue uh, substances. And uh, I chased it, I chased the dragon basically. And, um, you know, what happened is, um, you know, I was about five years old and uh, I'm the middle child of five, five kids. And uh, I saw my, uh, dad and my mom break up in front of me um, with his girlfriend and um, I was very resentful at, an, at a very early age and uh, you know I built up a lot of resentments throughout my, my drinking career you know I, um, <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was a class clown uh, and all I was doing was I was trying to mask the feelings that I was feeling, you know. And, um, I'm a <laughs> I'm a 4.0 student who just wanted a party, you know. School bored me, and uh, so much, man. But um, you know, I'm just gonna fast forward, you know, because we all know how to party, right? Uh, getting sober—that's you know, I'm a fish out of water when it comes to sobriety. You know, I'm flapping on the on the ground, you know, and um, and uh, you know, I, I accumulate a lot of uh, a lot of arrests, a lot of um, blackouts, and uh, a lot of outside issue substances during the mix of all those years. It was about 30 years of partying, and uh, 
you know, I got resentful. I got kicked out. I was in the military. I was a field medic uh, with uh, the Navy. And I crossed over to the Marines. And I was a field medic with the Marines. And, um, you know, someone was sharing the other day about not finishing what they started, you know. That was me in a nutshell. I can go. I can do the 50-yard dash at anything. I just couldn't go for the long haul, man. And, uh, you know, I was in the military. And... Uh, and right before I got kicked out due to my drinking, um, I was learning how to um, how to um, I forgot the word, but um, oh, clamping the arteries for heart surgeries. You know, I was learning all this stuff. I was gonna P I was gonna be a PA, and you know, things just started to fizzle out. You know, as far as you know my my attention. You know, and, and things that. Uh, that were gonna help me in life, you know? And, uh, you know, once I got out of the military, I used my, um, my MOS and, and, my, and my job as a, as a job out here in the real world, and I became a phlebotomist for about nine years. And, like, uh, we were just talking about the 80s and 90s, it was just a blur, man. Because <laughs> I, when, when you're in the military, you learn how to just party and, and you learn how to go to work, you know? And um, like I said, I'm a blackout drinker and uh, people would be carrying me home and then they'd come by the next day and uh, I'd be at work and they'd be like, how does this guy do it? You know, the military, thank you. And uh, military <laughs> helped me out a lot. And uh, so basically, you know, I was uh, kind of um, embarrassed about how I grew up, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I didn't wait, I didn't grow up uh, rich. I just grew up getting by and uh, I was pissed off at my mom also. And what I found out through the process of all that is just, I was this entitled, entitled little freaking baby, you know? And, uh, and I would be embarrassed of my mom. My mom, she turned out to be the rock, man, of our family, man. And, uh, and uh, I would be embarrassed of her, you know, because uh, my mom, when they got divorced, my parents got divorced, she had to fend for us and she had to do, she learned everything. She had to learn everything. And she was, um, she learned how, she taught herself how to drive. She learned and she went to work and she was always busy. And that's why I started at a young age because I, there was nobody at home, man. And uh, <clears throat> my mom had this big giant car. It was a Galaxy 800, and it had a messed up muffler. And you can hear this sucker two blocks away before she came down the street. And me as a little kid, I was embarrassed of that, man. And so, like, my older brother, he was already 16, and he started working. So he was helping with the family. And my, my younger sister um, was, um, was 12, and she did the next best thing. She was going to be the one to take care of us three, the three young ones, and she did the best thing that she could do, and she bolted and went to go live with my dad. And so that left me the oldest of the three young ones, and I was like eight, 
and here I had to fend for my little brother and sister and help them and wash their clothes. I learned a lot. You know, I learned how to wash clothes, learned how to sew. So I learned all this stuff at a young age, but I was pissed because I just wanted to be a kid, man. And uh, so when my mom would drive us out, you know, to go shopping, I would supposed to be, you know, I'm the oldest of them and I was supposed to be, um, supposed to be in the front seat and I would get in the back seat so I could lie down and hide from my mom and uh, you know that my mom had this freaking noisy monster and uh, looking back you know I, I, I could just see her how she would look at me that I was disgusted as a kid you know that she was in this kind of situation and uh, you know since uh, you know, and I'm gonna fast forward it, man. Uh, I built up a lot of resentments toward everything. When I got kicked out of the military, I was resentful at the military. Uh, when I got kicked out of, uh, not get kicked out, uh, they wouldn't work me. I was a phlebotomist for about nine years. And, huh? Oh, okay. And, uh, so basically, you know, I just kept going on and on building resentments for different things. And, uh, you know, I'm just gonna try to fast forward this because I am only a 10 minute speaker and I'm gonna get uh, my man Chris up here. Um, I ended up uh, becoming homeless at the, at the end of my uh, drinking and drugging and, uh, and I was homeless for about six years and uh, I have four DUIs under my belt and I have uh, five possession charges, two of them convicted. And I have <clears throat> three assaults on cops, because that's what I do. And uh, when I'm out there uh, drinking and drugging. And uh, so uh, I ended up getting arrested in uh, January of 2005. And I was looking at three years or a treatment program. And I had done so much time in jail that the three years I could do that staying on my head. And uh, at the last minute I signed and uh, I signed the paperwork to get into this treatment program. And it was a 14 month uh, intensive outpatient and I was still living on the streets. And I started going to meetings out at the 502 and uh, the other side. And I started to build a foundation here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, my first uh, meeting was in 1988, but I didn't hear anything, nor did I want to. And I tried to live out in the world where the people didn't understand me. And I was running from the people in Alcoholics Anonymous who, who understood me the most. And like it says on page um, 20, I think it is where, you know, the, the, the observations of alcoholics are from people who don't understand, you know, the, the ignorance and misunderstanding they refer to people whose um, reactions are different than ours. And I was trying to live with them. And they were just, how can you just stop, man? And I'd be like, if I knew, I would. <laughs> but uh, I didn't. And uh, like my mom would always tell me, hey, how can you can't stop? And I'd go, you know what, mom, I don't know. And I didn't have an answer for her. And then I got here this last time in 2005 and I started to hear what they call the language of the heart. And I ended up getting a sponsor and I worked my steps. And uh, that first year I did over 1200 meetings easy. 
and uh, I got off the streets. I finished that treatment program, and uh, you know, I completed my steps. And uh, what I found in Alcoholics Anonymous was what I had been looking for my whole life, but didn't know. I was always seeking, but um, I thought I found the answer in alcohol and drugs. Well, that's not wrong, but um, I thought I found it in that, and um, I was almost dead wrong, and I was almost dying. And, um, you know, my sobriety date's May 9th of 2005, and I'll be forever grateful for that date, man. And, uh, you know, I do this thing one day at a time. Uh, I also have fun. I insist on having fun. I didn't get sober to be a bump on a log, man. Because that's the way I, I ran it. I, I was running and gunning out there in, in, in my partying. So I do it in my recovery. And uh, there's one last thing I want to share real quick. Is that, you know what, that first year... I was going to a men's stag and they would just totally throw it out there, man. They throw little sayings, you baby them, you bury them, you know, and um, they say love and tolerance is, is our code <laughs> for some people. Some people need a swift kick in the A and the boom. And I was one of them because nothing, nothing was going to keep me sober, man. And, uh, what I found in here was the language of the heart, and uh, I continue to do this thing, man. There's so much to my story in, in 17 years, but I'm going to leave it at that because I want to hear my buddy Chris. So thank you for letting me share. Right. At this time, uh, I want to introduce a good friend of mine, Chris. Good evening, my name is Chris, I'm an alcoholic. Chris! Yeah. Speak up, Chris! <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you, Les, for uh, asking me to speak, and congratulate. welcome to the newcomer. Congratulations on everybody who took chips, and thank you for your example for 30 years. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> wow. So, um, I, uh, I'm grateful for another maggot-free day above the dirt and grateful to be here, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, goodness. So I come from an Irish Catholic family. We're all drinkers. Uh, alcoholism runs in my family. Um, I, uh, my, I, um, so I grew up like a lot of us in, I was a latchkey kid. I, uh, my mom mar married kind of badly. <laughs> And uh, she ended up, uh, my, my first dad left before I knew who he, or my father left before I knew who I, he was. My, uh, my first stepfather was an uh, abusive um, ex-con who, who taught me racism and taught me all kinds of things that uh, don't serve me today. Um, I uh, had an older brother. I started hanging out with him. And I ended up getting in a lot of trouble because I was really small and I can get through windows and stuff like that. So I broke into your houses and I uh, broke into your cars and because and, I didn't really have a whole lot of friends of my own, but I really kind of my my brother was kind of my my role model and I ended up you know I ended up following him around and I got in a lot of trouble. Um, I think I. 
when I was a kid, my mom used to make us hot toddies when we were sick, you know, and, and uh, I got sick a lot. And, um, and that was kind of my first introduction to, to alcohol. And um, I think my first and my last drink um, was uh, 40 a Colt 45. <laughs> you know, and I, I, my first drink was, I think, nine. I think, I think uh, Jerry beat me to it. Um, but uh, I, I was drinking and smoking weed with the people across, with the neighbors across the street. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt a sense of ease and comfort that it talks about in the book. You know, was, uh, um, my skin fit for the first time in my life, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I was uh, living the fast life as a teenager. I was basically a juvenile delinquent and um, got in a lot of trouble. I wasn't really good at crime. <laughs> I wasn't really good at it. I got caught a lot. And um, so I, uh, the first time I, uh, my first case was I was hanging out with one of my brother's friends who was 19. We stole a car. We uh, tied the dude up and um, we drove to, we were driving to Colorado and we got busted in Flagstaff, Arizona and I was driving the car. And uh, so I took the whole case and everybody else went home. And uh, my mom was freaked out and she didn't know what to do. So uh, I came back and they didn't have treatment centers back then. So I went to a place out in Cerritos, California called College Hospital. It was the ad <laughs> and it was uh, it was an adolescent psychiatric unit, which was fun. Uh, when I, and when I, I did my little time there, it was supposed to be I was supposed to be there for six weeks. I ended up being there six months until the parents, the, my stepdad's insurance ran out, and then they kicked me out and told me, "Gee, I hope he gets help somewhere." So <laughs> so I um, I got in some more trouble and uh, I. I robbed my, my, uh, my mom and my stepdad, and I went to live with my older brother in Arizona, and I got a job, and I worked, I washed dishes in a steakhouse. <laughs> I was 13, and that lasted until they found out I was 13 and wasn't able to work, and so when, when the money ran out, I got kicked out. So, um, part of my story, um, as a child, I'm a, I'm a survivor of um, violence, racism, sexual abuse, and um, at the hands of my stepfather, who was one of the people who told me he loved me. So my my so as a child, I think my 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 perception of love was kind of skewed, you know. So um, I so when I got in trouble. In Arizona, they put me on a bus. I got off in Phoenix. I was in Tucson, and I got off in Phoenix, and I went back to Tucson and got in more trouble. And my probation officer kicked me out of Tucson. <laughs> I was kicked out of Tucson uh, until I was 21. I don't know what that meant, but um, so the, the next time they put me, the next time they put me on a plane, and when it landed in LAX, they called my mother, and my mother said he can't live here. And so. Um, I hit the streets. So I ended up in Hollywood, California. I was, uh, um, I was a street kid. I, uh, I got involved in sex work. And uh, that's how I supported myself because I couldn't hold a job. So I sold the only thing I had, which was me. 
and I hated myself. I absolutely hated myself and what I was doing. So um, alcohol and other substances um, were my were how I coped. And that lasted from the time I was 13 to the time I was 25. I was homeless most of the time. We had a bunch of people. We would get motel rooms, and there'd be like 16 people in the motel room, and we'd be stepping over bodies going to the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, But the one thing I learned is we shared everything. You know, if one of us had food, we all had food, or, or however it would go. So, I, so there was a sense of family that I certainly didn't get at home that I got on the street. And um, my, my first attempt at sobriety, I went to a place when I was like 15 years old, and it was a place called Do It Now Foundation in Hollywood, and I had a counselor named Melinda Lickerman. <laughs> I thought that was funny too. And uh, so, Every time I'd show, I showed up once a week, and every time I showed up, she says, well, when's the last time you got drunk or high? And I said, well, either last night or this morning. And they said, she says, what are you doing here? And I asked her if she ever had a drug problem or an alcohol problem, and she said no. Oh. So she's like reading out of some book about how to take care of me. And I was like, I'm out of here. And so I was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things... Um, one of the things that really saved me in before, way, way before 12 step was music. You know, I, I left home and I wanted to go to Hollywood because I thought I was going to be this great musician, this, playing a rock band because all kids, all 13 year old kids want to be rock stars, uh, except I didn't play very well, um, that part. <laughs> But, uh, but I hung out with a whole lot of people and I had like a really, what I can remember was a really good time. Um, when people, uh, I don't like all the cliches they say around here. One of the one of the cliches is, "My worst day sober is better than my best day drunk." I strongly disagree. If that was your story, you certainly didn't party with me. Um, and and if it wasn't, if it didn't serve its purpose, I wouldn't have done it for as long as I did. So um, when I left home, I never looked back. And I drank and used and caught cases like a lot of us. I went to jail a whole bunch of times and um, I eventually caught a sales case and I did a year in LA County Jail back, with, back with, at the Hall of Justice building. That's how long ago that was. <laughs> and uh, when I got out, I had a former sex work client. It was the only phone number I could remember and I ended up um, in Chino, California. And coming from Hollywood, California to Chino is kind of a culture shock. There are cows in Chino. Yes, there are. <laughs> and so I, I was like kind of out of my element. So I found 12-step in the other fellowship because um, my drinking, I, I would say, is kind of periodic at best. I certainly did have a problem with it, but the other things, it led to the other stuff. And, and that's, that was the, the, worst of my, the worst of my life. And so I, I hung around the program, the other fellowship, for about seven years. And I got the sponsor who was the cool guy, kind of looked like Jerry, uh, but, but he was like into heavy music. <laughs> he was into heavy music and, and we did everything but steps. And I had all the little jobby jobs that you have in this. I was a secretary, I was a, I was a treasurer, I was a group service representative and all these things I went to take panels into juvenile halls and, and, um, and jails. 
and I did everything but work the steps. And as a result of that, I got in a disagreement with my sponsor who made a comment about my sex work in an open meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. And um, I took offense to that and, um, and I left. And um, so what happens to us when we get sober is we get lives back, right? If we, because I didn't have a life, you know, and I, I strongly, uh, I strongly uh, disagree with the word recovery, because I don't want anything about that life. And what does recovery mean? To get something back that you've lost. And before I got sober, I don't want any of that. Thanks very much. And um, so, but I got, I was going to school. I was doing all this stuff. I was trying to make something of myself, and um, I was playing in a band. I actually got a band actually hired me. Um, and we were playing in Upland, California at the Bull and Mouth Club. And the drummer was not one of us, but the other people in the band were, were clean and sober. And, um, and so I had not stopped going to meetings for about four months. And the drummer asked me, he goes, what, what, you can't have a beer? You're not going to those meetings anymore. You can't have one. And I didn't have one. I don't think I've ever done one of anything in my life. <laughs> but I had a couple. I had a couple of black and tans. And the worst thing to happen to somebody like me happened, and that was nothing. I didn't get in a bar fight. I didn't get a DUI. I didn't have anybody at home that I had to answer to. And I, I, and it was cool. And the first time I got sober, I was 25. And. Um, so I didn't, it didn't start off crazy right away, but it got crazy really fast. You know, the five weeks later I had like five drinks and the same thing happened. And I, so my thinking was maybe I overreacted to this alcohol thing. I like to shoot dope. So maybe I just overreacted. I was young, you know, I know now, I know more now. And um, it progressed rapidly by six, six months later, I had a needle in my arm. Right, you know, so um, and off I went, and I and I um, I was out for about nine years because I was. Uh, um, we talk about resentments around here, and I was resentful. I was, you know, you guys are a cult. You know, I don't want anything you have. And I said that when I came back, I, I ended up getting another case and another case and another case. And I was looking at seven years in the penitentiary, and they gave me drug court. I did not ask for drug court. I didn't want anybody's help because I got this, right? And I ended up seeing this lady and she, uh, she was a judge and she says, I know you'll do well. That was the first time anybody said anything positive about me in a long time. And I, so I could do a year and a half of drug court, I can do seven years in prison. I'll take the year and a half, thank you. So I did that, and um, and I and I it was easy. It was easy because I was done. You know, I was done. And my um, oh, during that time, I got a hostage. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I had a I had a I found a girl named Patty who loved me, and told me that I was worthy of love, because I didn't think I was worthy of love. I'm a, I'm, I'm a sex worker, right? You know, all my worth is my body, and but other than that. I don't get a whole lot deeper than that. And this lady loved me. And um, I drug her through nine years of active alcoholism and addiction. And when I uh, got in drug court, she was done. 
She says, I'm not going to be a prison wife. The next piece of mail you're going to get from me is a divorce papers. And, uh, and so I told her I was getting out. And she's like, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought that through. That's, I think that's a big part of my, uh, my dis-ease is uh, I don't think things through. So I get out and she says, I'm, I'm at work now. I get off in five hours. If you can't get a ride, I'll come get you. So I didn't ask anybody for a ride. I waited for her to come get me. She bought me lunch. And um, she says, so what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. Can I kick it on the couch for a couple of weeks until I figure it out? Maybe a sober living. I don't, I don't know how to do this. And uh, so I got... Uh, I got a place on the couch and I started going to drug court and I started uh, going to meetings, you know. My first experience with meetings was way before I got sober. I was, I went to a, a, a meeting at Cedar sinai Hospital and I can say her name because she's dead now, but the main speaker was Mary Tyler Moore. And I went to this meeting and she was telling me all the drinking on the Dick Van Dyke show was real. And uh, so, so that was cool, it was, but I was not ready to hear the message yet. This time I was, and I met a man named Hamill. He, uh, he, uh, he identified himself as an alcoholic with a social heroin problem. <laughs> Nobody in the room laughed except me. So I, so I, so, um, I listened to him speak, and he was kind of funny, and you know, I mean, it was cool, he had a cool story, you know, he, was a, he had an A number in the penitentiary. That's, I'm like, were you in Alcatraz? What the hell? You know? <laughs> and so, um, he asked me why I laughed, and I said, there's no such thing as a social heroin addict. Right. Sorry, I, I mean, I'm sorry, that's probably the most antisocial drug there is. But um, he became my guy. He became my guy, and, and he says, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm getting my paper signed, so I don't go to prison. And uh, he said, most people don't understand the benefits of a good ass whip until you've had one. Yeah, I had had one, you know? And he says, uh, you know, so, so we work steps, you know, for the first time. We worked steps, and uh, you know, I had trouble with the steps because I had a real issue with the whole God thing. Ooh. That one, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, I, I didn't understand it. I grew up Irish Catholic. I, I did all the stuff that you, that you do in Catholicism. You know, you get you, you eat the cracker and you, you know, talk about yourself and you get confirmed, whatever that means. Um, you know, the baptism, the whole thing. So I did all that, and I didn't understand it. And so I'm like, we go through the steps, and he says, he says the pat answer that some of some of the old timers say is, is my God's big enough for the both of us, so pray to my God. So uh, for seven months, I hit my knees. I said, okay, hell's God, this is Chris. Over, <laughs> you know. And I felt stupid, and I felt insincere. And I, I, um, you know. I, but I was able to get through the rest of the steps. I did my first inventory. I was as honest as I knew how to be. Um, and I looked at uh, the thing, the patterns in my life through the six and seven. And um, <clears throat> I got to the eighth step. And we talked about my mother. And um, 
My mother and I didn't speak from the time I left home. I, I, when I landed in LAX, when uh, they told me that I couldn't, I couldn't be home, I couldn't go home. You know, my mom said, you can't live here anymore. So I took her to work, you know? And when I got strung out and, 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 and drunk all the time, I didn't want her to see me like that because she raised me better. Real talk, right? She raised me better. And um, so I wrote her a letter. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I think I'm your son. That's how the letter started. I said, you know, dear Miss Lynn, I think I'm your son. And um, I said, I don't want anything from you. I don't, I don't need money. I don't need to be bailed out of jail. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a job, I have a relationship. Um, I just want to see if there's any way that we can have a relationship for as long as we got. And uh, the longest three year, the longest three weeks of my life happened and she finally wrote me back and she says, I heard you were dead. And she said, I heard you had OD'd in, an, in a hotel room and died in Hollywood nine years ago. And I said, that was true, except for the dead part. And um, <clears throat> that was the life I was leading and I was trying to make it right. So um, we met in 29 Palms, which was halfway between her house and where I was living at the time. And, uh, you know, uh, she, when she opened the door and saw me for the first time, she kind of took a step back. And she says, you look like your father. And I'm like, I don't know what my father looks like, <laughs> but okay. Um, and we had dinner. My wife was there and, um, and uh, we made it work, you know. Um, my, mother, um, my mother and I have a relationship I, today. I call her at least twice a week. Um, she's uh, getting on in her ears and I'll talk a little more about that in a few minutes. But, um, you know, we built a relationship and I got a relationship with my younger brother and uh, my older sister. My older sister is one of us. She's 60 years old and she's the river party chick. She has no teeth and she's still strung out. And um, I would really like to help her, but I cannot help people who don't want to help. You know, um, I, uh, she knows, I, I, oh, and side note, I, I work in treatment, um, not as a counselor, I work as a med tech. So I used to be a drug dealer and now I pass out drugs. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it's weird, you know, but I get to talk one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people. And, um, you know, I found, so getting back to the whole spiritual thing. Uh -oh. Yeah, ooh, you guys can leave if you need to. I, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I didn't understand the God thing. And, and so, you know, I, I uh, hemmed and hawed around this whole thing. And um, I um, wanted to find out more about meditation. And I read a book um, by this guy that grew up like I did, and he found um, a Buddhist practice. And I ended up going to Los Angeles to where this guy taught. And um, the first meeting I went into was a recovery-based meeting. And I'm like, uh, so, and the guy, the guy, <laughs> the guy who was running the meeting is like six foot three, and he's tattooed from head to toe. He's got tattoos on his face and all this other stuff like that. I come walking in is this meditation? <laughs> and he says, yeah, come on in. And, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I found, I, found my, I found my practice, you know, and I've been a practitioner in that 
in that uh, spiritual practice for about 13 years. And um, I, uh, it fits for me. It, you know, um, one of the things that I didn't understand is I thought your God had to be my God, you know, and, and I, and, um, you know, going back to what Hamill told me was, you know, if, it, if I understood it, it wouldn't be big enough to do me any good. And uh, so I do have a spiritual practice. And it was funny because I was at a meeting recently where it was, uh, we were sharing on the third step. And I mentioned that and that one of a guy who has a lot of time, <laughs> but very little recovery, <laughs> right? Um, sat there and he told me, uh, or he, I, I talked about my practice and I talked about that I, I do devotionals in the morning. I sit, I sit 30 minutes in a room with my eyes closed for, you know, on a daily basis and everything else. And he goes on and pontificates about, I sat with the llamas and blah, 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 like that. And he says, and your spiritual practice is psychobabble bullshit. And I was offended a little bit, but I didn't say anything. And it's like, um, I had a couple of people who were in the rooms uh, who I've helped and they said, you know, that's real nice that you say that, but he does it, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, and so I think, that, you know, whatever your practice looks like, man, as long as you're helping somebody, I don't care if you have fairies on the tip of your shoes lighting your way. If that works for you, right on. Keep doing that, you know? Um, so I got to stay, you know, I got to stay here. You know, when I didn't think it would work for me, so, you know, for the newcomers and the people taking trips, man, I never thought it would work for me. This works even for me and even for you. And, you know, reach out and grab a hold of us because we all want to help. You know, we do want to help you. You know, all I have is what I, you know, my, my work in treatment, all I have is what I've done in my life. I share from personal experience, from direct experience in my life of how this works. And, um, So my ninth year sober, my ninth year was a bad year. Um, the first thing that happened was Hamill died. And um, I went sponsorless, I went sponsorless for about nine months and it was really bad. And then my brother died. My brother uh, died, he was one of us and he died of alcoholism. And um, if you're considering going out, that's a, that's a really messed up way to go. His organ shut down. He ended up in ICU and was on life support for four days, and it was awful. And um, five, um, five years into my sobriety, my wife got, uh, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And um, the doctors originally gave her five weeks and told her to get her, life, get her affairs in order. And we, um, so in that, we did what most people do in that position. We sought a second opinion. And we, uh, she ended up going to City of Hope Hospital and they gave us four really good years. And, um, and then, uh, you know, cancer won, you know. And uh, so the day she passed away, she died on her son's birthday. That was awesome. Um, she died on her son's birthday, and um, I, uh, I, she, I got, I got clean and sober. She didn't, 
Okay, so, but she wasn't like me. She, like, an, if, if she did a little methamphetamine on the side here, and an eight ball would last her like two weeks. We are not the same. <laughs> right? we're, we're, we're totally not the same. You know, and, and she used it recreationally, whatever that looks like. But, um, but, you know, like I said, so she was getting radiation treatment. Her, her cancer was hormone aggressive, so uh, chemo wouldn't work, so we got spared that part. But um, she was getting radiation, and she had a tumor in her brain, in her pituitary gland, and um, it was causing pressure on her optic nerve, so she kind of couldn't see anymore. And um, so I'm going through her wallet and I get her insurance card. Behind her insurance card is a gram of speed. <laughs> and I'm like going, you know, hey, check it out. Um, we're like really trying to save your life. <laughs> and, and you have this in your wallet. She says, oh, I forgot about it. <laughs> have, have anybody in this out here ever forgotten they had drugs? I haven't, but she did. Um, so I didn't. So uh, so I didn't say anything in the waiting room. But we got back to the car and we had the good little conversation. And she says, you know, I I totally forgot about it, and I kind of let it go. And about uh, about four weeks later, she passed away, and I was I got to be with her when she passed. Um, very very emotional time for me. It was um, you know I uh, I don't know how to do this, you know, and and you know I. I, you know, my mom's still alive. I don't know where, whatever happened to the guy she married. I wasn't around when her last husband died. So I don't really do, I really don't know how to do this. So I sat with her and I meditated with her and I thanked her for hanging out with me. She, you know, um, and uh, when she passed away, I, I bathed her and I uh, cleaned her mouth and all that fun stuff. And took all the tubes off of her and out of her, and um, and uh, one of the things she wanted, she wanted her uh, tissues to be used for for cancer research, and um, so the tissue bank calls, and uh, they said, has she ever had sexual intercourse with an IV drug user? <laughs> has she had sexual intercourse with anybody who's been diagnosed with hepatitis C? We cannot use her tissues for for. Uh, for anything, so you know, sorry. <laughs> and so I get in the car, and um, I grab her stuff before I left the thing, and I realize, guess what? There's something in her wallet, and I, oh, no. right? So I'm driving home, and I'm driving down the 210 freeway because um, you know, City of Hope's right there off in Doherty, you know. And um, so I'm driving home, and I'm living in Redlands. I forgot to mention that at the beginning of my pitch, but. Um, so I open up the bag and I smell it, right? And I smell it. Not, not. I didn't smell it, but I smelt it, right? You know, um, you know. And and uh, so I. It was a couple of things happened really, really fast. The first thing I thought of was nobody's gonna know, right? Just me in the car. Nobody will ever find out. Second thing I thought of is even if they did, I was fairly public in my home groups and, and with my people. I hope you guys got people. I have people. And I, was, I shared very, very, very openly about the struggle of her cancer. And um, I'd, I would get a, I, you know, wouldn't, I'd get a pass maybe. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, they would understand. I don't know if I'd get a pass, but they would understand, right? 
And then I thought, the third thing I thought of, and this happened like in nanoseconds, right? Third thing I thought of is where am I gonna get some more? Haven't even done it yet. And I'm already looking, cause that's who I am. That's who I am. So, um, and then the last thing I thought about was who she was to me. And um, as it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, beyond all understanding is the patience of wives and mothers of us. Right? And she had so much patience and she saw me through a couple of jail terms and like just patient, 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 patient. And that gave me the fortitude to stay with her th through her illness. And the best thing I ever, ever gave that woman was, I gave her the gift of my sobriety and I got, and, and the ability to be there for her when she needed me. So I cracked down the window, it was raining that day, and I took the bag out and I threw it out and I called a couple of people. I called my sponsor, I called my spiritual guy, the big guy with the tattoos, and um, I called my friend Megan. My friend Megan uh, has a week, a week longer than I do. My sobriety date is October 5th, 2005, so we're right, right there. Um, so I took 17 years this month. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I called her and, you know, you people said you would meet me at my house, right? My spiritual guy lives in Santa Clarita at the time. And he said, I will drive to your house in Redlands. My, my, sponsor, my sponsor, who's still my sponsor, lives in Forest Falls, which is up on the way to Big Bear. He said, I'll meet you at your house. And I said, all the drugs are out of my house. All the drugs are out of my car. All the drugs, I don't have any drugs in me and I need to sleep. And so I went home and I slept with the cats and uh, I woke up 10 hours later and I went to a meeting and I got to stay, you know, I got to stay. So um, getting back to my mom, um, all her friends are dying and she lives three hour, three and a half hours away from me and three and a half hours away from my brother and she's very depressed. And we are having the conversation this weekend of maybe she should go somewhere where there's people. That's a hard one because we're Irish. <laughs> we are so stubborn. And I think she's gonna die in her double wide. But uh, we're gonna th we're gonna we're gonna throw it out there to her and see if she's if she's willing to accept the help that we're offering. And you know, between my brother and I, we can afford it, and we can put her someplace hopefully that's really nice. You know, I've gotten a lot of things. I've got you know, in in sobriety, I've got uh, you know, I've got a relationship with my family, which if you told me when I first got here that that was gonna happen, I would have never, never, never believed you. In, I have, uh, you know, I have a job that, uh, that I get to help other people, um, which I'm very, very grateful for. And I have a host of friends, like it says in the reading, you know, of people who I can count on. Because when I was out there doing my thing, man, there is nobody who ever came to visit me in jail. Nobody who ever put money on my books. As a matter of fact, they robbed my house while I was in jail, you know. And the other thing too, the other uh, the other thing I got is, um, you know, I work in treatment, but I got recovery in the rooms. 
I went to treatment one time. I went to Gibson House for Men in good old San Bernardino, California. They ran 12 steps right up your butt. And, um, and uh, you know, I, it was a 90-day program that I did. I got out and I was loaded three weeks later because money got tight and I know how to make money. <laughs> of course, I have to do quality control before I do that. And, um, but I ended up, it was, I was out for like another two, almost three years, and, and I got to come back, and I got it in the rooms from you people, and I got it from uh, our predecessors. Happy birthday, Gamma. And, um, you know, I heard my story tonight. You know, and um, I'm truly grateful, because this program has given me a life because I didn't have one before, and I have one today. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you for having me. I'm less alcoholic. Let's give Chris and Ingle Arma a hand. And Jerry for Lee. And let's give uh, Fernando a hand for the... just go back there automatically, you know? When I think of all those guys that were there, all of us that were trying, and we used to meditate this, that's why I remember. We used to do this meditation, and we'd all be lying on the floor, all 40 of us, men and women, and, and we were all sick. When you go through a hospital, everybody's real sick. And somehow, uh, I think most of those people are gone already, you know. Uh, they sure have to be gone, because if those were older than me, they would be a And uh, it was, uh, this one guy that took a mercy. Everybody there was in show business but me. Just about. 70% uh, of them were in show business. Here. There was guys from NBC that were announcers, games, and I can't even think of their names anymore. It's been so long ago. But you know what? It's a good memory to think of them, you know? Uh, I always go back there, always. Whenever I feel down, I go back to that time when I was real, recovering when I saw Sanity again, you know? And I've never had to have a drink after that. And, uh, sometimes when I'm... When I'm driving, I'll meditate, you know? If I feel nervous, not so bad now. Uh, back in 2000, I was going through a lot and I was getting panic attacks again, you know? And, but I knew what to do. When I would get a panic, when I would have a panic attack coming, I would, uh, I would meditate, driving, you know? I do the breathing exercise, I do all that stuff, and it works, you know, and uh, that's, that's the ideal part. And I want to really emphasize that these, these two gentlemen here that came in today, I, we, all, we were all there, we all came in, it was hard, I came in here and I, 
We all had z one day sober. And that's a miracle in itself, you know. Because uh, sobriety is a gift, you know. Uh, if, if I had not done what I did all those years, I, I constantly, you know, I go back all the time. Why didn't I do this? Oh, what, and I forget. I go, oh man, you can't live on that, you know? But I did so many crazy things when I first got sober, man. It was a road, the road to recovery, so many, many, many days, I can't even imagine. Uh, a lot of my friends have died not drinking, they died sober. And uh, they didn't take care of themselves, you know? You gotta, that's one thing I try to do now today. I try to take care of myself, no matter what, you know? Uh, because it's better to be healthier here. I'm, I'm walking now more uh, because I said myself that I'm gonna walk more, you know? And uh, uh, I have friends that are, my age that have broken a femur like I did and they never got out of the, uh, they never got out of the nursing home, you know? So every time I feel down that I, I can't do what I used to do, you know, I work a program in my sofa chair. I go, you know what? I'm alive. I've survived. And it's one day at a time. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Fernando. I'm an alcoholic. I was sent by the courts over here, and it worked. I was in my, my mid-20s, and I thought my life was over with. All my dreams, the best job, you know, lost a lost family and uh, integrity, respect, all that. I was collecting cans. Didn't know my name. Um, but thanks to this program, that meditation, just sitting down was meditation for me. The reeling of the mind stopped. I had a reprieve or I had a vacation from my thoughts and all the problems when I sat here. And the, the atmosphere or laughter was just amazing of the, uh, the characteristics, the... Uh, you know, the people in here have had weight. That's what attracted me right away. You know, they had they were handling that monster of property, money, and prestige, and it wasn't knocking them off like it did me. You make a lot of money, you drink a lot, and you lose everything. It was just that I couldn't break that cycle. That's the cycle I was born into with my dad, and then I inherited. But, you know, meditation... Why would we want to meditate if we didn't? If there's an, a benefit out of it, that benefit right away just, man. My first year, I came in shaking, bloody, no phone, no keys, no nothing. I had a sat in my sat in my. I, luckily, I had a job. I was fueling fuel diesel, at nighttime for Russ Grocery Company. I couldn't. They wouldn't let me drive. I tried to make an application when I got my license back with uh, Ralph's Grocery, and the guy looked at my rap sheet. <laughs> he goes, you got some guts coming in here. And, you know, I can see it in his face. Two DUIs, you know, all this chasing. And uh, he said, maybe next time. Um, but I, I was able to drive in the motor pool division because I was a, a fueler. And I was able to go out there and go on the trucks and go help the trucks when they break down and take another tractor, switch it around. I loved that job. It was so much fun. And then the first year when I came in here, 
I got into real estate thinking that, that was, you know, I can, I can skin the cat easily. While I was here, I got power. I got power, but I didn't get the counseling. I didn't get the sponsorship. I didn't, get, I didn't let this information go in. I didn't let the meditation. I, first year, I came in so broken. 12 months later, you would not believe. Bought a house, driving a Mercedes-Benz, got, got a Corvette, got money in the bank. I mean, it was just like from night and day. You wouldn't recognize it. I was still so nervous, and I had these, these business cards that said Century 21 Champions. And I look at it, I look at my face, oh my goodness. Passing them out door to door, and people opening up their houses to me. And, and I thought, wow, man, I still had the devil in me. And I looked at all the places and things, I said, you know, there's an evil spirit that was inside me, and it was trying to kill me. His name was alcohol, tequila, rage. It wasn't through meditation that I was, we were finishing a meeting and we were praying like this, that I felt something black. And I had my eyes closed and I saw that blackness leave me and left me. It's so easy to get contaminated with rage, this, this discouragement. You know, that's why one of the facts is uh, I, there's a place in the 12 and 12 that says the, the ultimate counselor is God himself. He's a God of justice, love and power. And the only way I access it is by thanking him for my difficulties. If I thank him for my difficulties, I have a chance for God to enter in and move on my behalf. Tomorrow I'm going to be jumping on an airplane and going to the to the big island not the big island the the garden island i guess and i'm supposed to be looking for some horses to ride to get a new experience <laughs> and that's all to to this program to this program so i'm very grateful i want to thank les for coming back he's been on a on a trip himself thank you and it's good to see gary everyone thank you and welcome well, thank you, Greg, alcoholic. Hi, Greg. Um, yeah, this is just a little bit of my story. I'm new here. I, I, I this has basically been a, a ten-year battle for me, and um, it, it's it's stints of sobriety, falling down, getting back up, falling down, and um, it's for for me. I'm trying to find. The formula, a long-term formula that keeps my focus, because that's that's what happens. I went before this last uh, binge that I went on, which was about two months ago. I I did a year, and I was well. I the beginning of the year I was doing some meetings, doing some therapy, and staying focused. And then I thought I had it again, and I so I did the for the most part that year on my own. And it wasn't hard until I fell down again. And so I, I knew, so now I got a family that's not happy with me. I'm not happy with me. And um, I, I knew I, I gotta do something and I gotta regain focus. And I, I really, it was kind of to get out of my family's hair. I, I went and did 30 days residential. And that, it was more needed than I knew I needed it. And I, I've gained a ton of focus. I've learned a lot of who I am. And now it's, I mean, I got out a week ago today. 
and now it's time to, to find the formula that's gonna be long-term for me. And I, I think part of, of what a deterrent for me is 90 meetings in 90 days, you gotta go to a meeting every day and it gets to where it's overwhelming for me. So I, I, when I say formula, it's like, do I do five days a week? Do I do two days a week? Do I, and who am I going to meet with and, and where am I gonna go with things? So I'm, I'm finding my way, but I'm more focused than I've ever been. So thank you for welcoming me here. Step one, I admitted I was powerless over alcohol, that I'd been licked, that my life had become unmanageable. Uh, I'm only here by the grace of God. I'm fully clothed in my right mind. I want to thank the judge and the attorney that railroaded me into coming into the program. <clears throat> you know, I just I look back, I just see the mercy and the grace of God uh, doing everything he can to, to corner me corner me on this corner I couldn't go to I couldn't go back left right every avenue or every option I had had been taken away except the option of, of work and go to uh, go to AA meetings and uh, and I had to be cornered you know I don't know about the other people that have the I was thinking I said well what if you sit in a class in a JC and they're talking about alcoholism and they go through the molecular structure of alcohol and how it crushes the the human cell and and uh, all that which i did on my first year i went to 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 learn air conditioning at a chemistry class and uh, that's all they talked about and i used to look around in the class i said how do they know i'm an alcoholic anonymous i thought this was anonymous you know i just felt like that's how they were talking about with alcohol how alcohol is divided, how alcohol is, it, it dilutes this, dilutes that. For their experiments in the chemistry class, they use alcohol a lot. And so uh, I had like what, <clears throat> I had uh, educational that I learned so much about that, that uh, the drink actually became a chemical. The truth shall may set you free. The drink actually became a chemical to me. I said, man, this is the stuff we put in our cars. We can put this in a rocket and go to the moon. And so this stuff, actually, I had a psychic change that because of, the, of AA and this. And so in addition to that, I had a spiritual awakening, too. I saw that there's an eye looking at me from heaven. And Alcoholic Anonymous just, uh, they, they stapled me to the wall. And they got my neck and said, look, there's your God. And they were finally able to let go. And I said, oh, my God. You know, oh, you were with me when that guy was kicking my ass after I was drunk and I was trying to steal his car. <laughs> I 
I can feel his presence. You were with me in that jail when that guy had killed those, those two guys for a drug wrong, and, and I was in there with him, and he was protecting me. So I recognized who God was, but I never, I never was cornered enough to say, Uncle, say, hey, I want this. And, and the bottom did hit me and hit me pretty good. That the, I'll just say this, that the person most likely to die at that era was a Hispanic around the Hollywood area in his 20s. And I was going around drinking and getting tattooed in the East LA around that area, uh, fighting and, and just doing crazy stuff that, um, you know, I was in arm's way. My older brother, he said, I saw 42 guys jumping this one guy down Whittier Boulevard, and I thought it was you, you know, getting beat, getting the, his brains kicked out. So they were worried. So when I came into AA, I was bloody, scarred, you know, I couldn't pay attention. I was totally, uh, so there was, it's nothing but mercy for me here. Nothing, and continues to grow upon mercy. Today, I'm going to go to Hawaii on, the, on Saturday. You know, and it's something that actually was birthed, the idea here. I was wondering, wow, I wonder if I can go to Hawaii, man. I've been doing this for a while. So I asked up, upstairs, and they said, sure, it's in your portfolio. And just start using your imagination and start, you know, believing it. And boom, I've been there five, six times now. It's amazing. And AAA, I'm looking forward to hitting that, that meeting by the ocean where I saw, I saw that whale when they said, whale season is not here yet, not until another eight weeks. And I said, well, they don't know my God. I grabbed the big book. I went to the thing. God, I want to see a whale. And sure enough, you think I'm bullshitting. A whale, way in the distance, jumped up, and I can see the colorful rainbow on the, uh, on the scales. And, and just, and God does for me what I can do for myself. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Raul Alcoholic. Raul. Good to see you guys. Good to see you, Bruce. Thanks, Raul. You know, uh, I can relate to everything I heard. And when it comes to mind that these are, what I was told, that these are diseases of perception. It depends on what I perceived. I remember with my first meeting, which my girlfriend sent me to, because she was an Al-Anon. The, the thing I remember when they said, 90 days, 90 meetings. First thing that came to mind, I don't have time to do that. I wasn't doing shit, but when I, when I heard 90 days, 90 meetings, I, I said it was too much. They cannot ask that much for me, and uh, because I didn't have a problem. Oh, everything and everybody was my problem, but not the alcohol. So I defended that alcohol, blaming everybody. Life didn't like me, and life cheated me, and my family cheated me, and my coworkers are cheating me. And then I get here, and I realize that life doesn't owe me shit. It's just my expectation. The part of my disease is that I, everything is not enough of anything, not only alcohol. I never had enough attention, and enough love, enough of anything. I always wanted more. So everybody uh, ran short. No matter what you did, it wasn't enough for me. Or you were not doing it right. 
And I use that as an excuse for keep on drinking and using. And uh, so it's when I, I nobody could talk me into uh, except that alcohol was my problem until I hit that bottom. That I've seen here people that they, they don't have bottom. They ended up in sanitariums or in jail. And I've seen it happen uh, with people that came to here. Uh, it's, I guess it's like the book says, you know, if, if I don't have the capacity to be honest with myself, I'm not going to get it. This is not for everybody. That's why the jails are full. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a terrible disease. Because uh, uh, it tells me I don't have a disease. You're my problem. You're the, you, they are telling me that I have a problem, I'm my problem. And I took it to the gates of insanity. That was my la latest bottom. And I realized that they're going to lock me up and throw away the key. And that's when I started to pay attention. And when I realized that I thought that I was perfect. That's why uh, good advice never worked for me. I didn't need good advice because I had all the answers. And when I got here, uh, you guys gave me the benefit. Uh, I was willing to give you guys the benefit of the doubt. So that, for me, meant that I had to accept that I didn't have all the answers. That maybe there was something here that I didn't know. That's where my open mind came into play. You know, I came, became willing to hear what you guys have to say because you had what I wanted. Not to drink today. But that was good enough for me. And then I heard again, 90 days, 90 meetings, before you diagnose yourself, you're not an alcoholic. Because this is self-diagnosed. And uh, yeah, by the time I came back, I was pretty sure I, I belong here. I could not do it alone. So I'm glad we have these meetings. And I put some issue off, so those mosquitoes are not bothering me today. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, I'm Brian. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Brian. You know, I he had gotten trouble sometimes because he just thought he was perfect. And, uh, you know, that's that's really sick thinking. Though. I didn't think I was perfect, but I was better than you. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Jim was saying. Uh, you're a good worker when you're here. <laughs> I heard that quite a few times. Uh, and actually the last girlfriend I had 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 told me the same thing. <laughs> she said, I want to love you, but you're not here. <laughs> and that was deep because I couldn't really argue with her, but it did provide a good night's drinking over it. It's hopeless. After boot camp, the Navy sent me to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, and I was up, I was on an Air Force base for some reason <coughs> up in the mountains in Hawaii for six months. And, uh, 
I can tell you, I was not impressed with Hawaii. Uh, of course, that may be because I was drunk as often as I could be. And I had a miserable time with probably one of the softest jobs that anyone could have. I, I ran a, a service club, you know, passing out cue sticks and record albums to the service club. Easy, easy job. I was miserable. You know, I didn't want to be there. You know, goddamn military sends me to this godforsaken place. You know, and, and the, the last job I had had, they, they told me, you know, you're a good worker. They tried, the place ran. <laughs> and finally, uh, I remembered, I went to a meeting where they were talking about the first step. Um, I'm powerless. Well, a group of my old friends, who I, they didn't really want me around much anymore. But uh, one of them called me up and said that, you know, we're having a, a going away party for Tom and Martha. start drinking, that's when I realized, once I start drinking, I don't know what's going to happen. I was powerless over alcohol 
two years ago and I didn't know it. I thought, well, shit, if they already know that about me, maybe I better listen to the rest of what they're trying to tell me. I've been trying to listen ever since, you know. <laughs> Shut my head off and listen to you. And uh, it works. Thank you. Yeah, These are, I mean, I've explained. Yeah,